Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. If you ask the question, do you believe God loves you? Most people say yes. But if you ask another question, do you love God? Many people would struggle to answer that question. Perhaps the reason for that is people rarely think about that. As you read the Bible, often the people who come to love God do so by going through various trials. On the other hand, most people who go through various trials love God less. In Psalm 31, David finds himself in a challenging situation and his love for God grows. This can happen to you too. Here's Pastor Jim in part one of his message, The High Calling of Looking and Loving. Well, I was talking with someone the other day and they happened to mention a very, very you know, financially successful business person. And I, I asked them, well, you know, I thought they were a person of, of faith and this is what the answer I got. Uh, they said, I'm sure they believe in God. Now, if, if you study the Bible much, you know that believing in God is more equivalent to our uh, terminology, trusting in God. And I immediately thought, well, if I were face to face with that guy, and you know, he's not doesn't really he's so absorbed in business, really kind of is his God, I guess, and so absorbed in business, he really has no time for God. Uh, what would I ask him? And instead of normally, I normally say to people, uh, "Do you do you trust God?" When people say, "I believe in God," I go, "Well, do you trust God?" That's really what it means. But I think with this particular fellow, I just would have said to him, okay, I know you believe in God, but I want to ask you one question, one question only. Do you love God? That's what I really want to know. And that is an important question, especially for a Christian. You see, if you ask people, does, does God love you? Most people kind of go, yeah. If you ask people, is God good? Well, then the waters get a little murkier. And they're kind of like, uh, yeah, but we're very circumstance driven. So a lot of people one day would say, week they'd say he loves me and the next week they might say he's not. And then if you really want to really get at people, you say, do you personally love God? I think you'll find some very, very interesting answers. And to be honest, when, when you look at the world, when you look at current events, when you look at the heartbreak and hard times of your own life, I think it's very important for all of us to periodically, if not daily, ask ourselves, what is the effect of these things on my faith, on my trust in God, and what is the effect of all of these things on my love for God? I will give credit to my unbelieving friends. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're watching online, we're so glad that you're with us. And please contact me. I'd love to dialogue more with you. But at least my unbelieving friends are willing to dialogue and discuss that the way life goes at times is why they don't believe. They, they cannot believe that God is good or there is even a creator who could create such a world with so much pain and heartache. Yet, the word of God is very clear. While God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and the Bible claims that God is good, 
a follower of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus will never, never grow in faith and trust without trials and difficulty in their life. It is just not going to happen. And these days, I see some followers of Jesus are growing, but I also see a lot of followers of Jesus are drifting or even walking away. Uh, some or many are bitter at God with the situation in, in our world, in our culture, in our country right now. Uh, others are just lazy. They've gotten used to just kind of not practicing their faith. But I would say that laziness is in a lot of ways a byproduct of a lack of love. And I know that's not an easy thing to hear, but one of the things about the Psalms is they comfort us, but they also incredibly challenge us. If you look at, if you read them that way and you read them as the Bible writer often challenging themselves in how they feel about life and how things are going with God. There is an old expression, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Let's leave it up there for a second. And let's just maybe think about it in a little bit different way. Uh, the same sun, let's put in the word trials, the same trials, the same heat, the same difficulties that melts the heart, right? That melts your heart towards God also can harden your heart towards God. And so we really decide what's going to be the result of those things. And it doesn't mean we don't waffle because we're going to see some waffling here in Psalm 31. The, the uh, title of our message today is the high calling of looking and loving. The high calling of looking and loving. In other words, we want to talk about looking for the goodness of God and then as a result are growing in our love for God as a byproduct of that. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That is much easier said than done. It's, you know, there's a lot of things that you hear from preachers say, and they just make these statements, and, and you're all like, oh, I wish I was spiritual like him, right? Some of these things are, you know, are, are not so easy, and this is not something that's particularly you know, easy unless the only way it becomes easier is if you and I are able to let the word of God and not our emotions or our opinions guide us into loving God. See, we've got to let the word of God be the guide for that. Now, that does not mean we ignore reality. Do we understand that? Do you ever meet some Christians where everything's going bad in their life and they're like, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, you know, like, you know, two weeks later they're gone, right? That, that does not mean we ignore reality, nor do we allow apathy or bitterness to take root in our hearts. And that's easy for it to happen. Just check my inbox and I off the cuff made a comment in the sermon last week, and so many people said it to me after the first service, I said it in the second service, that apathy can lead to apostasy. And so many people were like, 
you know, that was really deep. And I really thought about that. And I'm just thinking there like, God, I just, I just, it was just, it was just there. So maybe that's part of the reason why I'm thinking about this stuff. So here in Psalm 31, King David, also known as the man after God's own heart. Now that's a very interesting term uh, because does that, does that mean that he was seeking after God's own heart? Does that mean that he had a heart like God? Or does that mean that God was giving him his heart? I answer that question by saying yes, <laughs> that, that they're all true. He's also known as the sweet psalmist of Israel. He lived about a thousand years before Jesus did. And um, he is in a place right now here in Psalm 31 where many people would, would leave God. Would be like, this is what I get. I serve you. And this is it. I mean, this is, if you think, well, you know, you don't know what that's like, Pastor Jim. These last 20 months have been just crazy for me. I'm a pastor of a church. Some of you may know that. Uh, I'm a pastor of a church and people are, you know, scattered all about. And I have this whacked out neurological disorder where I, I have motion sickness. So I can't be really around people because they set off my condition. I surprise when people kind of tap me from behind or something like that. And when I talk on the phone, you may not know this, so I talk on the phone, if I talk for about 15 or 20 minutes, it takes me about an hour to recoup from that. Because what happens is the voice is just dinging me and dinging me and dinging me and dinging me. And I'm thinking, Lord, I have a bad job for this. Like, like they, there's a name for my illness. I just say, why don't you just call it hermit's disease? Like, <laughs> you should be just like a hermit if you have this. But God hasn't, you know, told me that it's time to stop doing this. But so th there's these times that we're going to have in our lives that we think, man, I'm done with this. And David is having one of those times. Yet David, show, David shows us how the Lord can be trusted and loved even in the worst of times which is a true mark of real faith. And one of the things I love about the Psalms, I read them a lot. I, I pray through them a lot is that I love the raw honesty of the Psalms. You may have noticed that I preach through them all through the Bible and that I've preached through tons of them individually. That's why I, because I love them so much. I love the raw honesty. I love it because the Psalms really do this, at least for me. The Psalms teach me how to live in between two worlds. The Psalms teach me how to live in the world of heartache and how to live in the world of glory and how to, to keep my eye on, on both and, and mold them together and keep that out in front of me of what is to come. So as we go through Psalm 31, we're going to, I do this a lot anyway, but I'm gonna really refer to a lot of different versions to add a lot more color and clarity. Essentially, it's a prayer, as most of the Psalms seem to be. His sort of first 19 verses, sort of desperation, kind of waffling in and out of, of pain and joy. And then verse 19 through the end, through 24, he goes into thanksgiving. So it begins in verse one, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David. So what is this? This is a song. He says, hey, chief musician, sing this. And, and we often say that the Psalms ended up being the second temple 
songbook. Remember, David was a first temple guy, but then it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, as we've been seeing in Daniel. And then when they came back and they rebuilt it, this was their songbook. And then verse one says, in you, O Lord, and so that is part of the psalm, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. Some versions say, take refuge or seek refuge. Let me never be ashamed. Another version says, let let me never be put to shame. Deliver me. Another version, save me in your righteousness. Verse two, bow down your ear to me. Uh, Deliver me. Another version says, rescue me speedily. So what is he saying? Come quickly. Hurry up. I know you never say that to God. You're very patient. I'm just waiting on the Lord. But, you know, I'm always like, come on, get with it, God. Right? Be my rock of refuge. A fortress of defense, another version says, a strong fortress to save me. Now, verse three, if you have your own Bible, that's why you need to bring your own Bible, not use the Bible in the seat in front of you. All the people with the Bible in the seat in front of you are lowing it right now, okay? But you need to bring your own Bible because it's very helpful to mark off certain verses. But if you're taking notes or something like this, I would tell you, Write verse three on an index card or on your cell phone or somewhere and carry it with you this week. This is, this is a refrigerator verse. For you are my rock and my fortress. Those are words used to describe God in the Bible. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Love it, love it. Verse four. Up to this point, we're not told what the problem is. A lot of times in the Psalms, we are not told what the problem is. Why? So we can make a general application for our own lives. So we're not like, oh, that's not my problem. So we look at the guy's problem and we think, well, we're not told what it is. So I'm just going to have to make a general application. Verse four, pull me out of the net, which they have secretly laid for me. So he's saying, save me, Lord, for you are my strength. Some of your versions, you are my refuge. It's very interesting what David does here. In verse two, he says, be my rock. That's what he says in verse two. So he's saying, be my rock. And in verse three, he says, you are my rock. You're like, what are you, what are you, are you confused or something? In verse four, he says, save me because you are my strength. You are my refuge. What's he doing? He's applying the word of God to his situation. It's exactly what he's doing. He's applying the word of God to his situation. He's letting trust and trial, trust in God and the difficulty he's in right now, he's letting them take a walk together. He's going to say, I'm going to walk through this trial, but I'm going to walk through it in trust. So he says to the Lord, Come quickly, fix it now. Yet at the same time, he says, lead me and help me. And you're like, which is, which is it? Which is it? And he would be like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what it is. You know, contemporary Christian culture is, you know, the, the songs very concerned with, and there's a song that, that says this in it, but a lot of the songs are this about, being so concerned about who God says that we are. You know, like we got to know who God says that we are. Forget what everybody else says what we are. And even if I sin like the devil, right? You know, I got to remember what God says what I am. I, I do think that is important if you are a child of God to, to certainly remember that. But I think 
I find it's better for me and for most people I know who have a strong Christian walk to declare who God is. Forget about who I am, right? Because that is so inconsistent. And to be more concerned about with who God says he is. And that is something that will always be there for you in your fear, in your anxiety, and your darkness. Remembering who God is will always be there for you. Because if it's who you are, I got to remember who I am. You're still, you're still fighting your emotions. You're still fighting your anxiety. But remembering who God is will stick with us. The idea of taking refuge of God, the idea is of God's security and protection is very common in the Psalms. But I got to say something after studying them all through and then teaching through so many of them, I find that sometimes there's just a little catch sometimes, just a little catch. And it, and, and it kind of goes like this. Trials, trouble, great difficulty are an opportunity for us to cry out to the Lord to be our refuge. I mean, if everything's going great, why are you like, you know, be my refuge? What are you going like, to do? Like if you go out on a raft or something like that, oh Lord, you know, save me if I'm drowning or something like that. No, no, it, you're never going to cry out. I'm never going to cry out to God to be our refuge and to be our strength unless there are trials. And when there are those trials and those opportunities present themselves, um, what happens is they are also meant to deepen our relationship with the Lord. You know this from human experience. When you go through a deep trial with someone, what does that do? That bonds you. That bonds you. You can go through successes with people and you're like, yeah, that was last week. But you could, you would go through a deep trial with someone or you go like, I remember a time, man, that that guy was there for me or she was there for me or we went through that together. And that really bonds people together. And so what is David doing? He's inviting God into his trial. And by inviting God into his trial, that is bonding him closer to God. If we don't do that, we can proclaim that we love and trust God, but true love and true test of God is tested by what? Pain, suffering, great difficulty. In the New Testament, 1 Peter writes this, 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7, in this you greatly rejoice. <laughs> now you're like, oh, this sounds good. Though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. So you're rejoicing and you have trials. You're like, yeah, he's just like David. He doesn't know where he's coming or going that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory of the revelation of Jesus Christ. A faith that is not tested is no faith at all. Can I please say that again? A faith that is not tested is no faith at all. And right now, in the days we are living in, it is testing time. So get your number two lead pencils ready. <laughs> Some of you remember that, right? Stay inside the lines. 
We are in a time of testing. In verse three, he says, lead me and guide me. That's the word nahal. And that doesn't mean a divine guidance for God's will. That's like this very American concept. We're just always looking for God's will. And for so many people that are spending so much time looking for God's will, what are they doing while they're waiting? Absolutely nothing. No, no. This word actually describes God's concern and his guiding the helpless to a place of rest. What a beautiful picture that paints for us. So David says, do it for your namesake. So he says, lead me to that place of, of, of rest. I admit I'm helpless. Lead me to the place where I rest in you, God, for your namesake. So people will see it. I will experience it. And we will certainly know, God, it was you who did it. That's not what we do, is it? We cry for relief. I mean, you got a headache for one minute and you're like, where's the Advil? You know, something hurts and you're like, oh man. Some of your friends are like, try Tylenol. Oh, okay, where's the Tylenol, right? We, we, just, we just constantly want immediate relief. But notice David doesn't cry out for relief as much as he cries out for God's glory. And when he does it, it produces patience as he knows that suffering and pain has a much higher purpose than we will ever know. We may realize it sometimes in this life, but often it is we won't see it until the next life. Verse five, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So Jesus said from the cross, the idea is I entrust my spirit to you, Lord. So into your hands, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me. Jesus didn't pray that, did he? Because, you know, he said, mean, the idea is you've rescued me out of trouble. Oh, Lord, God of truth. I have hated those who regard useless idols. Some versions say worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. And the result is what? Verse seven, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. That's that Jewish word, hesed, hesed. Some people translate it, your faithful love, your steadfast love. For you have considered my trouble. Some versions say you've seen my affliction. You've known, you've known my soul in adversities. Another version, the distress of my soul or the anguish of my soul. Another version says you have known the troubles of my life. Verse eight, and have not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. He says, you have not delivered me into the hand of my enemy. In another version, you have set my feet on a wide place. Some versions say on a spacious place. What do you mean? I'm not hanging on the edge of the cliff. I'm not on one of those little thin walkways trying to get away from my enemy. So he begins with, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You see, the Psalms was Jesus's prayer book. I'll make the case to you. That's why you might want to make it your prayer book. And to, to say into your hand as I commit my spirit, what a great prayer to begin each day, isn't it? It's a tremendous prayer. David realized, and this is such an important concept of why you might want to adapt the prayer of into your hand, I commit my spirit. David realized that no matter what happens, he is in God's hands, not in the hands of his circumstances. Can I repeat that, please? Save myself a lot of counseling time. David realized 
that he was in God's hands, no matter what happened, he was in God's hands, not in the hands of his circumstances. There is no place, no place where that is better demonstrated than the cross of Christ. When you look at the cross of Christ, and if you believed that Jesus was a follower of God, you don't have to believe at at that moment, you're there. You don't believe that he's the Messiah. You're not sure if he's the Messiah. You're watching what happens, and you're thinking, God is not very good. Good luck trying to convince Jesus of Nazareth of that. And that's why he prayed that. Nor David. It doesn't seem right now that he's delivered, but he gloriously looks forward to it. He is confident that his deliverance is coming. You say, how do they do this? I mean, how do people have attitudes like this? Well, it's actually in verse 7, he says, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. I will be glad and rejoice in your faithful love, in your steadfast love. Thank you for spending the last half hour with Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love is designed to help you deepen your relationship with Christ no matter where you are in your journey. Teaming with Changed by Love financially makes it possible to reach thousands, many more than you and I could reach on our own. We are stronger together than we could ever be apart. Please consider a generous gift today. Give safely and securely online at changedbyloveradio.org. You'll find our address there too if you'd rather send a check. You can always reach us by phone at 862-217-9686. It takes a team to encourage thousands. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney. changedbyloveradio.org.